For those of you who are visiting with us, we're studying from the Gospel of John. This morning we're going to be studying from John chapter 6. There are 71 verses in John 6, and it would be very easy for me, at least, to focus on just a few of these verses and allow myself to just really get caught up into those details. However, sometimes you've heard the old phrase, sometimes you can't see the forest for the trees. And that is, if you focus on one thing, sometimes you'll miss the greater message. And in my opinion, John chapter 6 is one of those chapters that you have to see as a whole rather than the individual parts. Let me begin by introducing this by pointing out that there are many Bible stories that have a powerful message within them. The feeding of the 5,000 or the bread of life sermon in John chapter 6 has Jesus calling on men. He's calling on men to decide who he is. I would suggest to you that's really part of the theme of the book of John. That is to respect him as the son of God to appreciate the fact that he's given us evidence that he is the Son of God. But then he calls upon men to devote their lives to him. John 6 stands out as one of those chapters where the Lord says, you decide who I am, but then once you decide that, I want you your full, complete devotion to me. Normally, what I would do is to outline this chapter, and I recognize with 71 verses, I would have the temptation to read each and every one of them, and that's just not possible in a lesson like this. So what I did, I did something I haven't done in a long time. I used the first letter of the word bread as an organization. It's called an acrostic. And we'll look, first of all, at the background Then we'll look at their reaction. Then we will look at how the Lord educated them. Then we will observe the acceptance that they have, which was only partial. And then finally, the decision that they had to make. So let's take our Bibles in hand and let's begin as we read verses 1 and 2 and start the background. John records, after these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. Then a great multitude followed him because they saw his signs, which he performed on those who were diseased. If you will, just notice a few details as we prepare to understand this passage. The events that are occurring are occurring on the Sea of Galilee. As we will observe later, there's some ways away from the city of Capernaum. They're across the sea, if you will, because they're going to make a journey overnight, and it's going to be several miles. So what you have here is the place. Second of all, you have a multitude that is following him, and the reason they're following him is because of the signs. People are being healed just this morning, you had heard read before you, Brother Joe, 
outlining the number of people who are sick within this congregation. If the Lord were here in our area, how many of us do you think would not want to go and take our family members and have the Lord to place his hands upon them and heal them completely, fully, and wholly of their diseases? The second thing that you will observe is what occurs in verses 5 through 11. That's the feeding of the 5,000 with the loaves and the fishes. And John records, Then Jesus lifted up his eyes, and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread that these may eat? But he said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may have a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There's a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish, but what are they among so many? Before we continue this reading, again, let's notice a few things of observation here. There's a multitude coming toward him. There are 5,000 men. This auditorium this morning has approximately 300 people in it. You figure 15 times the number of people right here. And you see that multitude coming toward you. You know it's time for folks to eat. The Lord looks and tests Philip by saying, where are we going to go and buy The response of Philip in most of our minds, because this is in denarii, doesn't register. But a denarius was a day's wage, and if you're just going to round it off at roughly $100 for a day's wage, he's saying $20,000 will not feed this multitude. That puts it a little bit different perspective. And you can say, well, if I had $20,000, I could feed 5,000 people, really? That works out about $4 a person. Have you been to McDonald's lately? You understand, for just them to have a little bit would take that amount of money. But you see, the Lord already knew what he was going to do. I think it's interesting, Simon Peter's brother Andrew comes up and he says, we've got this little boy. This young lad, he has five barley loaves. Don't think of a loaf of bread like we think. Think of a pita bread, five little slices of bread, five little pieces of bread. And when you think of two small fish, don't think of a, you know, a six or seven pound largemouth bass. Think of sardines. What is this among so many? Then Jesus said, make the people sit down. There was much grass in the place. And so the men sat down in number about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves. And when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples and the disciples to those sitting down. And likewise the fish, as much as they wanted. You just got to think about the miracle that was performed there. Everyone had as much as they wanted. But that's not where the great story ends. Because if you continue reading, jump down with me now to verse 16, Jesus is going to walk on the water. Now when evening came, his disciples 
went down to the sea, got in the boat, went over the sea toward Capernaum, and it was already dark, and Jesus had not come with them or to them. And then the sea arose because a great wind was blowing, and so they rode about three or four miles. They saw Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near the boat, and they were afraid. But he said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. And they willingly received him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at land where they were going. You see, they've crossed over. Most likely, this is the northern part of the Sea of Galilee, which would had about a three or four mile journey to the city of Capernaum. But Jesus walks on the water. Imagine that. Where there's a boisterous sea. You know, the other gospel accounts contain it. But here it's at the time of the feeding of the 5,000. Now jump down with me a little bit further as we begin with verse 22. It says, On the following day, when the people who were standing on the other side of the sea saw that there was no boat there, other boat there, except the one which the disciples had entered, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with them, or with his disciples, but his disciples had gone away alone. However, other boats came from Tiberias near the place where they ate the bread after the Lord had given thanks. When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciple, they also got into boats, came to Capernaum, seeking Jesus. Now I want you to think, I'm going to stop here at this point. You think about these people here. They're watching every move that Jesus makes. They know who gets into the boat. They know when he doesn't get in the boat. They know that Jesus is not gone with the disciples to the other side. They're looking for him. Where has he gone? So they go to Capernaum seeking Jesus. Now with that background in mind, I want you to notice the reaction of the people to Jesus' miracle that he performed in verses 14 and 15. Then those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, said, Truly, this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force and make him king, he departed to the mountain by himself alone. You see, the people have gotten this idea that Jesus is the prophet. In fact, let's explore that idea just a minute. When you think about the prophet, we all know that Jesus was that prophet. But you see, they remembered Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 15 and 18, where Moses had said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your midst, from your brethren. Him you shall hear. Verse 18, he says, He said, I'll put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak all that I command him. There was going to be one who was going to be a spokesman for God. But the truth is, they didn't equate the prophet with Christ. They viewed it as somebody different. You remember in John chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, when they came to John the Baptist, they asked him, are you the prophet? And he said, no. Are you the Christ? And he said, no. Or John chapter 7, verses 40 and 41, they 
said when they heard this, truly this is the prophet. Others said this is the Christ. You see, in their minds, the prophet was going to be some great spokesman for God. And in their minds, this has got to be that prophet that God was going to send. So in their mind, what we've got to do, we've got to make him our king. By force. Now I want you to imagine the Lord here, and he has just fed 5,000 folks. This man is a miracle worker. This man has great talent. He's who we want to be our king. Well, maybe he doesn't want to be king, at least not like you think. In Matthew 11 and verse 12, Jesus said from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. They are determined to take the kingdom and make it into something they want it to be. They're determined to take Jesus and make him into the king they want him to be, but he is not willing. He escapes to the mountain and the text says again, alone. You know, Jesus' kingdom was not like the kingdom that they wanted. In John chapter 18, beginning with verse 33, going through verse 36, Pilate is asking Jesus, is he a king? And he responds in verse 36, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. It's a spiritual kingdom. So the reaction is, is that maybe this is the prophet and maybe we ought to make him our king by force. Well, Jesus is going to provide for them an education. And oh, how powerful this education is. Begin with verse 26 and let's go through verse 29. And Jesus answered them and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me. Not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. Do not labor for food that perishes, but for food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal on him. They said to him, What shall we do that we may work the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe on him in whom he has sent. Now for just a moment or two, let's observe some things here. Jesus pointed out that their motivations were misplaced. Why were they there? It wasn't because they saw the great signs that he was performing. It wasn't because of the great teachings which he taught. He said, you're here because you ate the loaves and were filled. He's going to contrast for them physical food and spiritual food. Now, don't misunderstand. Physical food is what sustains our physical bodies and it is necessary. If you quit feeding this body, it will die. Food is what sustains us. It provides those nutrients that we need. And yet, there's a more important food 
the spiritual food that feeds the soul. And if you have to make a choice between the soul or the body, you always choose the soul. You remember Jesus, Matthew chapter 10, fear not him who is able to destroy the body and after that he can do nothing more but fear him who is able to destroy both the body and the soul in hell. You remember what the Lord's temptation was in Matthew chapter 4? How Satan tempted him to take those stones and turn them into bread and his response was, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out from the mouth of God. Or you'll remember in chapter 6, verse 25, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat or what you'll drink or about this body, what you'll put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? The Lord's point is, is not your life more important than just the food you eat? Is it not more important than just the clothes you wear? Your spiritual life is the most important part of you. See, a good education provokes questions. Oh, I think back of those really good teachers that I had. And the teacher teaches a lesson and you're thinking, oh, that makes me want to ask a question. And their question was, What shall we do that we may work the works of God? I've got a question. What do I need to do? That's a question that's been repeated many times. Do you remember Luke 10, 25? That certain lawyer says, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? You remember Acts 2, verse 37, those people on the day of Pentecost, they said to the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Do you remember chapter 9 and verse 6, Saul he says, Lord, what do you want me to do? Do you remember Acts 16.30? The Philippian jailer said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Do you notice a common word there? What do we need to do? There's an action that must be performed. Jesus did not say, you don't have to do anything. I've already done it all. He did not say that. There's a lot of people in a lot of religious groups that believe today that you don't do anything. The Lord will save you. You just sit back and enjoy it. James 2 verse 14 says, If a man says he has faith but does not have works, can that faith save him? He says faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. In chapter 2, verse 19, faith without works is dead. Chapter 2, verse 24, you see that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Oh yeah, that's the only time in the Bible where the words faith only appears. God expects us to do something. And that was the question which they asked and the Lord replied to it. Now let's look at verses 30 through 34. Therefore they said to him, What sign will you perform then that we may see it and believe in you? What work will you do? Our fathers ate manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave us bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, 
Moses did not give you bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said unto him, Lord, give us this bread always. Oh, wow. What a lesson in that. You see, Jesus answered their question by telling them it was based on meeting his demands. But they turned and they said, Lord, well, what are you going to do? They asked the question, what do we do? But now they're saying, what are you going to do for us? Now, um, I suggest to you there's a lot deeper meaning in this than you just read over the top of it. They pointed back and they said, Moses gave us the manna in the wilderness. You know what the manna was? Every morning they would go out and there was this white stuff. It formed like dew. It was honey sweet. It was like coriander seed. They would take it and they baked bread with it. They had daily bread with that. God provided enough for them every day while they wandered in the wilderness. And they're saying to Jesus, what are you going to do? Moses gave us daily bread. What are you going to give us? Jesus had already multiplied the loaves and the fishes. And essentially what they're saying is keep it up. Give us this bread always. In other words, give it to us all the time. Take care of us. You see, their acceptance was based upon, Lord, what are you going to give me? What are you going to give me? Let's pull it together now. Let's look at verses 35 and 36. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. But I said this to you, said to you that have seen me, and yet you do not believe. I gave you the evidence, I proved it to you. But you don't believe in me. I'm calling on you to make a decision and you're not making the right decision. Look at verses 41 and 42. The Jews then complained about him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. And they said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then he says, I have come down from heaven? Folks, here's the bottom line of that. They could not wrap their minds around the fact that Jesus was God in the flesh. John 1 and verse 14, The Word became flesh and dwelt among men, and we beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. They couldn't conceive of God coming down in the likeness of human man, and so they would not believe. Look at verses 43 through 45. Jesus therefore answered and said to them, Do not murmur among yourselves. No one can come to me except the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up in the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught by God. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned comes from the Father comes to me. Jesus is saying... If you want to know, nobody can come to me except God draws him. 
Well, how does God draw? God teaches everybody. The invitation, the call is to every man. Look at verse 45. It is written in the prophets and they shall all be taught by God. But not everybody comes. Why will not everybody come? Because not everybody has listened, not everybody has learned, and not everybody is willing. Look at verses 51 and 52. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And the bread I give is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. The Jews therefore quarreled among themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? I suggest to you these people are still stuck on physical things. They're still stuck on the physical bread. They're still stuck on physical things and they cannot make a decision for Jesus because their mind is too worldly. So hard for people to accept. Verses 60 and 61 and 66. Therefore many of his disciples when they heard this said, this is a hard saying. Who can understand it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this, he said to them, does this offend you? Verse 66, from this time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. You see, when Jesus finished the sermon, instead of extending the invitation and hundreds responding, the Lord extends the invitation and hundreds leave. They don't like the message. They don't like what he has to say. I know that's a little bit depressing, isn't it? But I want you to go with me to verses 67 through 69, and then we're going to start our observations. Because the Lord is going to look to the apostles, to the twelve. Do you also want to go away? Simon Peter answered and said to him, Lord, To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Oh, Peter gets it. The apostles get it. He is the Christ. The decision has been made. If he is the Christ, then you follow him. He has the words of eternal life. For just a moment, I'd like to make about three observations here and then we'll extend the Lord's invitation. Essentially, John 6 is like John chapter 5. The Lord worked a miracle of benevolence. He fed people who were hungry. Just like in John 5, he healed a man who couldn't walk. That opened a door for him to be able to teach people on that topic. Benevolence often opens doors. Here's a man who has no food to eat, no clothes to wear, no place to live. And we can't meet everyone's needs, but we can some. And many times that benevolence opens a door because it also opens a heart. 
But the second observation is that generosity and grace can often be abused. You open your wallet and you hand somebody some money and you say, here, I want you to be able to eat. Oh, good. You got any more? I know that's hard to think, but... You see, generosity sometimes can be turned into something God never intended. Galatians 5 and verse 13, For brethren, you have been called to liberty. Only do not use your liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Don't look at God's grace, God's goodness to you as something to be abused. Look at it as something to be appreciated and something to provide for us an incentive to want to serve him. The third observation from this passage is motivations and priorities are often exposed by the Lord's teaching. Oh, the Lord makes me think. Why are you a Christian? Why are you here this morning? Why do you do what you do? Is the Lord only to you someone who just gives? Or do you look at this as an opportunity for me to say, look what the Lord has done for me. Out of my love and my appreciation, I give him the glory. I give him the honor. And I listen to him. John's message is again regarding the acceptance of Jesus as the Son of God. It's almost like John is just putting one page upon another. And in doing so, what he is trying to do is prove to us, Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the Son of God. And to the point where when you read this book, you can't walk away and say anything other than there is evidence that he is the true Son of God from so many different directions and Jesus provided all the proof that was necessary but here's the bottom line Jesus won't make a person believe it's a choice no one is going to come to you and say now you've got to obey the gospel you've got to live right there are going to be people who will preach God's word to you and say this is what God calls upon you to do but it's your choice if you do it. The Lord will let you walk away. The Lord will call you out if your motivations aren't right. And you know in your own heart what you believe and you know what is the motivations of your own heart. Jesus wants you to be a child of God. He wants you to be a follower of His. All this is given so that you and I can know that He's the Christ. If you want to obey Him this morning, do what He said to do. Believe on the Son of God, the one whom God sent. Repent of your sins. Turn your back on the things you've been doing wrong. Confess his name. Say, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, and be baptized. We've studied through that in John chapter 3, the meaning of being born again. 
this morning. If you want to be baptized, if you'll come forward when we sing the invitation song and take a seat on the front, we'll be glad to assist you in being baptized this morning. If you're a child of God and you look at your life and you say, I know now I need to make some things right, we can pray with you. Please come as we together stand and sing.